0: The Lifestylist, Episode 68, featuring Neil Strauss.
1: I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. What's up, homies? You know what today is? Today is June 6, 2017. You know what that means? That means this is the one-year anniversary of the first release of the Lifestylist Podcast, and what better way to ring in the one-year anniversary than with my friend and our guest, author Neil Strauss. I just want to take a moment to thank you for listening. If this is your first time here, welcome. This is a real party. I think you'll, you'll definitely enjoy this particular episode with Neil. If you're a longtime listener, I want to thank you so much for tuning in and for sharing this episode with friends. I just checked my stats and they are as follows. I'm up to 530,000 downloads in the first year as of today. I'm recording this on June 1st, by the way, about to take a trip that I'll tell you about in a minute. Uh, We're up to 175 five-star ratings in iTunes and 130 five-star reviews in iTunes. And that's huge. I don't have anything to compare the show to, but it's gone way above and beyond my expectations. And I've got to say that this particular accomplishment of having the idea for a show curating a show, getting the guests, doing the artwork, putting on the website, all the stuff that's gone into this. It's been honestly like excruciating and way more expensive, and way more work than I ever thought it would be. When I started out, I was like, cool, yeah, I just get a mic and a little preamp, plug it into my iMac and start recording and it just magically gets out into the world. Well, it turns out it's not that simple. There's a lot that goes into it. So it's been extremely rewarding. Also a lot of work, but definitely, definitely totally worth it. So I really want to thank you for joining me in this first year. As I mentioned before, today is June 1st, and uh, I mentioned that I'll be away when this interview actually comes out on June 6th. And where I'll be is in a place called the Hoffman Institute, doing something called the Hoffman Process, which is a really intensive sort of personal development, retreat type of situation that Neil actually recommended to me a couple years ago. So while you hear this, I'll be getting some pretty pretty hardcore therapy or something of that sort uh, on. On this particular day. So uh, it's kind of just another a strange piece of irony that I'm not around to hear this episode because Neil told me about a really cool place that I could go and work on myself. So that's where I am today. And this episode is quite a doozy because Neil's really one of the people that encouraged me to go ahead and start my podcast and do the stuff that I'm doing in the health and wellness space and sort of merge out of the fashion industry to a degree, which I've been working in for 17 years. So it's really interesting that I I got to sit down and interview Neil about where he is in his life and also his last book, which came out quite a while ago, but it just had such a huge impact uh, on me. And that book is called The Truth. And we discussed that book (laughs) at great lengths. And really, this episode is about relationships, like how we get into them, why we get into them, how to make them work, what makes them break apart. And specifically, we talk a lot about functional and dysfunctional relationships. And while this has been an amazing year for me and so rewarding in terms of my career in the podcast, it's also been an extremely challenging one. And I've learned so much in the area of relationships and continue to. So it's very poignant that, This year is the one where I celebrated a year with Neil, and we talk about the things that I've really been focusing on and putting some energy into learning, because trust me, as you'll find out in this very intimate interview, I got a lot to learn in this area, for real. Okay, so some of the things we talk about with Neil in this conversation interview is how his book, The Truth, changed my life forever. Then becoming emotionally healthy enough to actually have a fulfilling relationship. Sounds easy, but how do you do it? What are the different stages of a romantic relationship? Identifying codependency and how to break that cycle if you find that you're in it. The curse of emotional enmeshment and how to trade that for true intimacy. So we talk a lot about how childhood issues tend to manifest in our adult adult lives and especially into our relationships. And Neil and I share a lot on that particular topic, how to stop people pleasing and doing pathological accommodation, which is a term that he turned me on to. And I can totally relate to that. Is sex addiction a real thing and how to tell if you've got it? Uh Oh, I hope you don't. (laughs) It sounds like a tough one to break because it's sort of like, you know, uh, you got to take the tiger for a walk there, if you know what I'm saying. The dangers of trauma bonding with a romantic partner. And then really, as I said, like how your childhood trauma affects your relationships, but also how it shaped your brain, your personality, and as a result, why we behave the way we do in our adult life and our adult relationships. And then how do we each define commitment and is monogamy possible? So this is quite a fun and I think sort of controversial episode here. I'm really happy to have you join me on this one and any others to follow. I'd also like to remind you to check in next Tuesday for episode uh, 68 with Dr. John Bergman, where we talk about surgery and drugs versus chiropractic. Thank you so much for listening. It's been a great year. You're my hero. You're a legend. Share this episode with a friend, and I'll catch you next week. A huge part of my health strategy is taking medicinal herbs and medicinal mushrooms. And one of my favorite ways to take them is by making herbal elixirs. That's really tasty, hot and cold drinks. It's much cooler to take them that way than taking a bunch of pills. Like who can remember to do that? Well, I wanna let you know about my friends from Four Sigmatic. These guys make the most potent, high quality and delicious herbal blends that are really easy to take. You can make a cold or hot, herbal elixir drink. Like what I like to do is either add them to my bulletproof coffee, or if I don't want to have caffeine, I'll just make myself a Four Sigmatic herbal elixir with something like cordyceps, lion's mane, uh, chaga mushrooms, reishi mushrooms, ashwagandha, all the good stuff, all the stuff that you can really feel working is available at Four Sigmatic. So what I'd like you to do is go to Sigmatic.com and check it out. They have an amazing suite of products. And like anything that I promote, this is stuff that I use every day myself. I love this stuff. I'm super addicted to it, which is why I want to tell you about it. So go to Sigmatic.com. But even better when you're there, enter the code THELIFESTYLIST at checkout and save 15% off your order, which is pretty sweet. So enter the lifestylist and save 15% at foursigmatic.com. It's time for a shout out to my friends over at Organifi.com. Everyone knows that green juice is good for you now, right? You see it like in 7-Eleven. There's green juice everywhere. I love my green juice, but there's a couple problems with it. One, it usually comes in plastic, which is less than ideal. Two, it's loaded with sugar. A lot of these green juices that you think are healthy have like 25 grams of sugar. That's like a green Coca-Cola. Not good. But mainly the issue with the green juice phenomenon for me personally is that they're not very portable. Even if it comes in glass and it doesn't have sugar, I have to drink the whole thing at once if I'm in my car I'm traveling or something like that. So they're just not quite convenient all of the time. And they'll just go bad if you leave them sitting there. So what Organifi has done is created this amazing superfood green juice blend that comes in a powdered form in a little packet that you can just throw in a bottle of water, any other drink, and make an instant, super powerful green juice. So it's got 11 superfoods. It doesn't have any of the swag, extra stuff that you don't need. It's just the stuff that you're actually going to feel. So it's got turmeric, chlorella, wheatgrass, spirulina, mint, moringa, ashwagandha, lemon, beets little matcha green tea for an extra kick there, some coconut water for electrolytes and potassium, and then it's sweetened with monk fruit, which is awesome because it doesn't spike your blood sugar. It's got like a low glycemic index, unlike some of those green juices I mentioned. So it's a really great product. I've been using it for months. You probably heard me talk about it before. I want to share an opportunity with you to save 20% if you want to check it out. All you have to do is go to Organifi.com and enter the code LIFESTYLIST at checkout, and you're going to save 20%. So that's Organify.com with an I, not a Y. Use the code LIFESTYLIST and save 20%. Check it out. You will not be disappointed. (music) Neil Strauss is a seven-time New York Times bestselling author, speaker, and coach. His books, The Game and The Rules of the Game, for which he went undercover in a secret society of pickup artists for two years, made him an international celebrity and an accidental hero and villain to singles around the world. Both books topped the New York Times bestseller list and were number one on Amazon, and the former has the dubious distinction of being the most stolen book at Barnes & Noble besides the Bible. In his follow-up book, The Truth, an uncomfortable book about relationships, Strauss dives deep into his greatest challenge to date, love. In the book, he explores the hidden forces that cause people to choose each other, stay together, and break up. His other best-selling books include How to Make Love Like a Porn Star with Jenna Jameson, The Dirt with Motley Crue, and The Long Hard Road Out of Hell with Marilyn Manson. Strauss has also contributed to Esquire, Maxim, Spin, Entertainment Weekly, Details, The Source, New York Newsday, and many other magazines and newspapers. Beyond writing, Strauss has acted in everything from Curb Your Enthusiasm to rock videos by Beck and Jared Leto. He's appeared on The Jimmy Kimmel Show, The View, The Carson Daly Show, and dozens of other talk shows. He's also hosted his own interview show, The Inner Circle, with Neil Strauss on Sirius XM. Here we are with a legendary author and friend, Neil Strauss. Welcome to the show, dude. Uh, Thanks for having me
0: on. I remember you starting the show and asked me to be on it and saying no. Totally, totally. (laughs) said, said, come back when you're ready, and now you're ready. Dude, it's funny. I always joke about that. I'm like, I've had some
1: really big guests. I mean, I've had Russell Cinnamons, Dave Asprey. I mean, Mm. a lot of big names in health and personal development. Joe Polish is coming on. Um, But it's funny. Like, you're the the one guy that I actually am friends with and I know that, you know, I mean, I know of other people. We don't text and stuff, right. but I always joke like, yeah, Neil's the only like kind of famous guy that I actually knew. And he's the only one that said no when I right, started right, my right. show. Yeah. But your book had just come out and yeah. you're like, dude, I love you, bro. But I just did literally 20 podcasts to talk about my fucking love life and my book and I'm over it. And yeah, I, was, yeah. I respected
0: that. So I've recharged. I got new things to say. Cool. Awesome. Cool.
1: Yeah. So the first thing I want to talk about is just how I, Found you And I don't know If I've ever even Shared with you This story But I was reminded Of it today When I ran into Jordy Uh Our mutual friend Jordy White Uh, I haven't seen him In about a year Uh, Incidentally He does the theme song For my show Oh that's awesome The music in the beginning You hit up all your friends
0: Yeah Yeah, totally And he was
1: like Yeah I said I want something like Black Keys Like bluesy Can you even play that He's like yeah dude Of course And he made like An epic song but going back to how I first found your work was back in the nineties, I had just gotten sober. This is like ninety-six, and I was just a fucking train wreck of a human being, of course. And I was dating this girl named Kim Nail, who mm-hmm. uh, was a really amazing singer, and she got booked to be Marilyn Manson's background singer for like that mechanical animals yeah. tour. And so she left on tour. I stayed home and watched her two kids, mm-hmm. and then your book with Manson was called A Long Hard Road Out of Hell. Is yeah, that what it's it. called? Yeah. So I went out and bought that book because she would call me and tell me all these crazy stories. And I'm like, this can't be true. Like the shit that she was describing to me, the rock and roll debauchery that like my girlfriend was out experiencing. I'm like, this has got to be bullshit. I got to find out who this Marilyn Manson guy is. So I actually went out and bought your book. Oh, you must've been terrified. Oh, dude. Yeah. We fucking broke up.
0: Yeah. So thank you for that. Because no, there's like crazy shit happens to people on the road in that book. <laughs> Dude, Yeah, <laughs> that was my fucking girlfriend out right. on the road with these
1: animals, you know? Right. Then what was weird, so that was your book, and then I, I actually just loved that book. And I'm, as you know, I'm just a super fan of your writing. I've read every book you've ever written. Um, I think you have, what, seven New York Times bestsellers at this point? Yeah, yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah, so I've read them all, and even any ones that weren't. Um, but next I read Motley Crue, The Dirt, which was like, I always tell people, if, like if you want to experience what crack is like, in a book then that's right. the book because you literally cannot nuts. put it down nuts. and and all your books are really like that right. especially the one that i want to focus on the last one the truth so i read that book we ended up breaking up then a couple of years later just randomly i ended up getting hired to do a Marilyn manson shoot as a stylist then got hired for like two or three years working with him on an ongoing basis just doing all his stuff and then became friends with Jordy. Right. And one night, you know, I was telling Jordy, oh, I'm such a fan of Neil. He's like, Neil? He's like, my bro, man. Right. We go way back. I was like, you know, Neil Strauss? Yeah. He's like, that's just Neil, man. Like, <laughs> right, right, Why are you so starstruck? You know, right. I'm like, no, you don't get it. I love right. his books. And then he's like, well, I'm going out to dinner with him tonight. Just roll through. And so we kind of bum rushed. I remember that. You. Right. And it's funny because I went to Michelle Paradise's office the other day. Yeah. And I walk out and I'm like, that's where I met Neil. Right. Was in that hilarious. restaurant. And so,
0: he got turned out of Michelle Paradise through. My podcast um, or separately? No. What's funny is she came up to me
1: in yoga one day oh, really? and was like, hey, are you Luke Story? I heard you on my friend Tony Wrighton's podcast. Wow. And then she said, I know Neil and I was just on Neil's show. That's funny. So I listened to your episode with She's her good. and then I just recorded one with her too. It's great because she does like, all the trauma work stuff you love. I've been doing it and yeah. yeah, it's amazing. So anyway, here we are full circle. And what I was reminded of when I came in and just about you mentioned me starting my show was... When you invited me to come speak at your mastermind group, which I had been a part of, you know, your men's group, the society. Um, And I just wanted to thank you, like formally and just publicly, because you were really the catalyst for me doing this show and kind of having the courage to put this message out into the world. Yeah. Because I'm just a dude that's like into biohacking and personal development, but I don't really know that I know anything because it's just what I do. And you were like, oh man, you know, come out and talk. Cause I had helped you sort of curate a couple of the guests. And these are people that I really looked up to. Like, um, we had
0: like Ben Greenfield. uh, We had uh, so many amazing people. Daniel Vitalis, David Wolf. Yeah, Phil Moffatone, who never speaks. yeah. Yeah.
1: So it was like, I was so like honored to have the opportunity to come speak there. We brought and, like a
0: truck full of ice for everybody to do the ice baths. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. It
1: was a, I mean, it was a really good intensive and it was like the thing I wanted to. So I
0: just wanted to thank you for like encouraging me because you were- Yeah, no, no, I really have been. Thank you for, I know this sounds strange, but thank you yeah. for listening. Because sometimes you see somebody, uh, there's a path opening to them, but they can't see it because they're used to what they've done. It's easy to start something. It's hard to be like, oh, to shift gears and take those risks. Uh, like a lot of times, people who are in their 30s or 40s or anything, anywhere past that think, "Oh, I tried to write a screenplay, it didn't work, and I give up." Or I tried to start a podcast, it didn't get big, and I gave up. And I thought, "Wait, you got to where you were the first time because you worked at it for four or five years and didn't give up." Uh, and it, sometimes it's hard for people to shift gears and forget that they still have to put in the work and the sacrifice and the intensity and everything it takes. So I was happy. I just saw that was the direction you were going in. I'm like. And I'm happy that you got excited by it. Yeah,
1: dude. Me yeah. too. Me too. And it was just—it was—it was just very encouraging. Like to get the confidence of just all the guys in the group, and right. you know, I remember you mentioned to me, you're like, "Yeah, Rick Rubin saw your talk, and he said, he said everything you said was on point except xylitol. said xylitol bullshit." And I was like, "Interesting. I'll look into it." Right. But I mean, that's like a huge vote of confidence, Right, you know? But, it's but like, see, but
0: this is what makes you good at what you do. And anybody was, it, which is like, when you get feedback, can you actually listen to it and evaluate it? even if it's somebody telling you you're wrong. People really have this thing that if someone's telling them you're wrong, instantly it's a defensive reaction. They just want to push it away because it might not come in the words that are pleasing to their ego, right? Absolutely. But I feel like any growth I've had is from people telling me I'm wrong. I'm on, the only reason I'm a good writer is not because I was born a good writer. I'm you know, good at it it's because I sucked, but I had really good editors back when I was starting out at the Village Voice or the New York Times. Actually, even before that, because I didn't make it to the New York Times without that. Where I was an intern at the Village Voice, and I'd write something, and they'd be like, that's shit, that sucks." And I'd be like, "Oh, oh, tell me what's good." I wouldn't be like, "Oh, that guy called me shit. I hate him." I'd be like, "No, <laughs> totally. he's successful at what he does. I am not. I have something to learn, totally. <laughs> right?" So when, totally. when when he said the xylitol thing, you didn't like prepare a big defense or be like, "What a what a jerk." You thought, "Oh, let me look into that." Totally. And it then didn't
1: even actually didn't even cross my mind. I was right. like, "Oh shit, I respect him, and he's been into this stuff, you know." privately for a long time i know he right. knows his shit so i was like oh man but what's funny actually it reminds me when you posted the video of the talk i did at the intensive yeah. it got trolled so fucking People hard all over by it. your audience yeah but what occurred to me it was like i had this howard stern moment because i i felt bad i was like shit this is like the first public thing i've ever like put out and all these guys are like oh this guy's a fucking idiot and a pussy and they, they were pretty vicious I, I don't know if it was like the audience didn't relate to like my right. vibe or whatever but one thing that did occur to me i was like wait a minute these guys were trolling stuff that was like at the end of a two-hour video. Mm -hmm. I was like, hmm, that means they sat there and watched the whole two-hour video to get to the part that they hated about eggs or whatever I was talking about. And it's like, I remember Howard Stern once saying, it's like when he started out, he had so many haters and so many critics, but they all tuned in. So it's like if you have 100,000 people watching you and 50,000 hate you, well, 50,000 are still watching.
0: Right. So anyway. No, if you do something that you feel sucks and people hate you for it, you made a mistake. But if you do something you really believe in and people hate you for it, you're probably doing something right. And if Again, if you listen to and evaluate the, the feedback. And I think like George Orwell always said, as a writer, uh, the worst thing is to, for people to have no opinion at all on what you're doing. So I really feel, especially like if you rise your head out there and you make a, Anyone who's leading the way and might be ahead of everyone else is going to get so criticism by their, their rear guard uh, you know, and the people who want to stay where they are. I don't want to hear information that what I'm doing is wrong because I don't want to change it. So I have two choices, either change it or hate you and tear you down, right? But what I can't do is keep doing something I'm, that's wrong if I know there's another better way to do it. So I feel like some of that resistance is good and it's really fun when you're doing something and getting a lot of criticism and hate for it but you keep doing it and that slowly diminishes and diminishes and diminishes as people start to kind of catch up to what you're doing.
1: Totally. Um, And I've had that experience too. Yeah. Absolutely. I I don't know. I seem to have found kind of my little tribe and I get very little criticism now. Of course, I'm not like, you know, that publicly known, but it, it definitely has gone in the other direction,
0: which feels good. And I always find it's this person who's the second to something is the one that really succeeds with it. The first one breaks the boundaries and paves the way and the second one gets... The success. So, whether it's like Friendster, you know, and maybe MySpace paving the way for Facebook and Twitter, or it's uh, Radiohead paving the way for Coldplay. Right. 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 You know? That's like, true. That's right, true. Like the first person out there, like they fight the fight. So, the second person, the first person to copy them is the one that right. gets all the medals. Right. Right. Yeah.
1: Oh, shit. All right. There's so much good stuff. Like we could go in a million directions, but I promised the audience and I promised myself that we're right. going to talk about relationships. Right. And as I said, I know your book's been out forever. You're probably right. tired of talking about it because you're on to five other books by no, now. Yeah, I'm never
0: like anything that comes out of curiosity. I'm always excited to discuss. Okay, cool. Yeah.
1: Because I got to say, man, it's like <sighs> that book, The Truth, an uncomfortable book about relationships. I, of course, read it because it came after the game. And right. that book, you know, despite it getting some criticism from people like, oh, it's to learn how to manipulate women and right. lie. I'm like, no, this is just a fucking author who dove deeply into... A subculture mm-hmm. and wrote about it. It's not like yeah, he's it's like funny. going, "Hey, you should use NLP to like get laid." Right. It's like, no, this is what these people are doing, and I got involved in it. Whatever. Yeah, so- yeah, and here
0: was the good of it at that time for me, and here was the bad of it at that time for me. It's fun. It's funny. So know? that book yeah. helped
1: me a lot to to date freely, um, not get tied down in a relationship, right. experiment with different types of relationships. Give me help me get the confidence to like talk to women and not be lame and I I think there's a lot of value in that in that whole scene just in terms of personal development on the side that wasn't um, you know that if you have kind of morals and a conscience and you're really doing your best not to be abusive or mistreat people a lot of those principles just apply to just business and all kinds of relationships so so I come out of the game of having spent my 30s you know dating and for the most part staying single and then when the truth came out it's just like literally I was glued to my fucking couch and I would sit there Neil and I'm not even exaggerating. I would be bawling just like weeping a couple pages in and then there would be some really good one liners, many of which I like, I got to highlight some, but I knew there wouldn't be time to like go over them. But it's like, I literally sat there and laughed and cried as I read that book. And it was, I just related to every part of it so much. And so I want to touch on some of the things that I related to and it was like a really sort of bittersweet experience because, in the, you know, I'm just gonna spoiler alert your book because yeah, I'm yeah. sure a lot of people have already read it, but you lost the girl. Mm-hmm. The, the woman of your dreams, the love of your life. And at the end of the book, you end up getting her back, you know, through a course of a bunch of sort of miraculous events and a lot of inner work that you had done. And at that time in my life, I had sort of lost someone I was in love with because I was too immature and not ready and was scared of being a mesh and all the shit that we'll talk about. But I didn't get the girl back. The ship sailed and it was just it was well, too late. Well,
0: here, here's, I mean, like, just to correct something in what you're saying, okay, okay. just like a subtleties, I love words because they really reveal a lot. Yeah. So though there was no, the idea of getting her back was never... Right? It was never the goal and shouldn't ever be the goal. The good idea, it was, re- and again, I didn't do, if I did this stuff to get her back, we wouldn't be sitting here talking about it. Because, okay. Um, so the goal was really to get emotionally healthy. Once I let go, once I was willing really just to let go of that relationship and realize, okay, I'd blown it, I'd fuck that up, and now I'm just gonna get emotionally healthy for me. If you wanna fix yourself in a relationship, doing it for someone else is the worst reason ever to do it. Love it. Right? Absolutely. So, so it was for me, and yeah. as I became emotionally healthy, you know, I became more attractive, and I was willing to think, okay, either this will work with her, or if not, I'm ready to be in a healthy relationship. Right. So, so like, even getting her back is what like Marshall Rosenberg would call like violent communication, because that person's free to do whatever they want in the wide world of options there is, and maybe getting back together with me or her get, getting back together with you would be a bad thing. For right, her right, cool, right, very, right. Very Isn't well it not interesting said. though how we, yeah, its like it's Absolutely. a violent word, like get her back, right? Absolutely, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <that's funny. laughs> yeah. Especially if you think you know, there's a few different
1: ways you could take that, right, right. But I appreciate that. But yeah, yeah. it was just a moment where I was like, shit, and I just—I had this epiphany that was like, you know what? Because I had had open relationships and you know all kinds of different right. dynamics, and I was just so terrified of commitment and that uh, that book honestly was like a catalyst i was like dude i need to grow up like i want right. to know what it's like to have something deeper and more meaningful and so my whole paradigm was literally changed and at that point i began to experiment and i was and i had just gotten into a relationship and i thought you know what for once in my life i'm going to do it differently i'm going to go in just brazen open hearted totally ready to get devastated if that's what has to happen yeah. in order for me to evolve. And I, and I commenced to do that and did get devastated. And all my worst fears came true, but I grew and I changed and here I am
0: now doing it again. Yeah. And the other thing is like a couple of thoughts on, on what okay. you said. First of all, close one thought on the idea of getting people back. Because again, I guess a lot of people listening, a lot of people like they want this person back, but I would say 80% of those people want them back for like an ego reason. They felt abandoned or rejected and they feel like by getting that person back they'll heal that wound but then they'll be in the miserable relationship again but a lot of the people I've talked to who want a partner back weren't even happy when they were dating them <laughs> it was just the abandonment wound that was triggered by losing them damn um, son yeah interesting wow. right very interesting and then, that's uh, why I love talking to you <laughs> yeah. man. You, have, you like geek out on this shit so hard it's right. great and then what was the other thing you were just saying I forgot the second point I was going to well make. that I willingly made Oh yeah, decision. yeah. This, this is the next thing this so the kind next of thing. just be vulnerable so, and give so here's a the shot. deal if a relationship doesn't work out a relationship just didn't, just, just, didn't, just didn't work out but the idea that like i'm opening myself up to get devastated or destroyed <laughs> the idea that i'm going to open myself and be vulnerable for someone to hurt me so bad that i'm going to feel depressed suicidal all those things it really means you're not emotionally ready for a relationship because you're going to be codependent right like a healthy relationship is You're one entity, the other person's another entity or however many entities there are in your relationship and together you make a new whole. But if you're like, I'm half and they're half and together we make a whole, if they leave, I'm not complete, that's like an issue. So the idea is, and this happens a lot obviously, if somebody is scared of a breakup or scared to be vulnerable, it really means like somehow you're not whole yet.
1: Yeah, well, actually, that fast-forwards through one of my questions. Because right. this, I knew this would be non-linear, but I do have some right. definite points I'll kill myself if I don't like right. walk you're away. so dramatic.
0: Having... He's going to kill himself. <laughs> if you miss <laughs> those points, you're going to leave this house and just kill yourself in the driveway. I have been accused
1: <laughs> of being melodramatic. Well, it's, fu- it's funny because I. don't... your
0: girlfriend's laughing, by the way. Most of the time,
1: I. Yeah, I brought. I brought her along for effect because it would help keep me honest and maybe more open. But a lot of people don't understand the power of words like you do. Like Michelle paradise, when I interviewed her, she, you know, she's got a huge background in NLP. So it's like when I'm talking, she'd be like, do you really want to use that word? I'm like, shit, you know, no, I'm not going to kill myself. If I forget to answer (laughs) a question, I might have a subtle form of healthy regret. Um, but but let's go ahead and talk. But about... But it's funny you would even
0: use that you would use that word, right? Jesus Christ. Yeah, like it's so f- funny. I and mean, I warned a,
1: you know. I warned Joe and um, Monique both. I was like, watch, Neil's. G- I'm going to try to interview Neil about him, and he's going to turn on me and like psychoanalyze right. me. Just fucking right. guaranteed, right? right. But because I, like, I well. B- by
0: the way, like there's. <laughs> there's like a lot of control issues going on. If you go watch this and ignore everything I say and just watch the control issues, I've got this list of questions. Let me get back to my agenda. I know what we're talking about is interesting, but I want to talk about this. Like I know he's going to turn around and interview me versus like, I'm coming here to have a discussion. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Well,
1: you nailed me on the control issues when we were speaking at the last Bulletproof conference Right. and we were doing, you were doing a little, after your talk, you did a little, you know, mastermind group. Yeah. uh, Or a focus group kind of end. I don't know. Somehow the topic of control issues came up, and you had mentioned me once before because we came over here and did a whole sweep of your kitchen, and you were really wanting to work on your yeah. health, and that was amazing. Totally random, great. other story that was very cool. So grateful. I for still that. have all that shit yeah. in my garage, by the way, that I uh-huh. took out of your kitchen. <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh my <laughs> god. Because I meant to make a video of it at uh-huh. some point. But anyway, yeah, funny. side note. Um, But we were talking about health, and right. and you mentioned to me. You're like, Luke, have you ever realized like the control issues you have? And I was right. like, what? And he goes, Yeah, you must have felt really unsafe as a kid and like you didn't have any control over your environment. And so you taking all these vitamins and biohacking and all of this stuff is like a way that your adult kid is sort of trying to exert some form of control, even if it's like, I don't eat pesticides. Right. Like that's the one thing that I like can control. And, and I've really looked a lot at that. Did, yeah. Am I sort of paraphrasing your, no, your take right on, on that? No, right on, right on. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm seeing how that manifests in other
0: areas of my life too. Another piece of that is your mom would literally put poison into your body. Right. So this is that overcompensation in the other direction. Right. You remembered that? Yeah. Damn. Okay. Yeah.
1: So on to this concept of codependency, yeah. because having been in like addiction recovery for a long time, that's a word that's thrown a- around a lot, Yeah. but I've never had a totally clear understanding of what that even means. What's your definition of that? Cause I like, I like how you're describing like two people that don't feel complete unto themselves, but together they're like, ah, okay, I'm safe now, which I definitely have experienced even recently.
0: Yeah. And and this probably isn't, and I'm just kind of riffing on it. So there's probably a better definition or if you look at the word of like Pia Melody or Melody Beattie, I think is her name. Yeah. Those are the kind of the two experts. So, But this is just the way I think about it is uh, if I am not able to meet all my healthy adult needs on my own, and I expect you to meet my needs that aren't part of that, obviously the need may be for physical affection or for you know, sexuality is, is something that's negotiated between myself and a partner. But if my need for, you know, esteem, for belonging, for understanding, for connection, whatever, for uh, all those things. So codependency is like, I expect you to somehow meet that need. And it works both ways, because we often think of that, the codependent is the, the needy one, who's like, I'm not complete without you. But on the other side is the person who feels like they need to rescue somebody, and they don't have any worth and value unless they're rescuing someone. I was just talking to somebody today who... Uh, I love my favorite thing people say in relationships and you, everyone listening can like listen out for this is when they say, when they talk about everything that's wrong with their partner as if they're the better one. They're like, oh my God, he's such a fuck up. He doesn't like have a job. He doesn't have a shit together. He's such a mess. And my, I was thinking to myself, wait, you chose him. So like you're just as fucked up because you chose that person.
1: That's you great. Know? That's great. Like, I've, yeah, I've looked at that myself right. like getting out of a relationship and I'm like, this bitch, this, that and I'll be talking to myself and then I'll, I have had that thought like, yeah, but Luke... You picked her. Like right. There's billions of women on the planet that right. maybe don't have those issues, but you hand-picked
0: that one that was right. like the perfect match
1: for your broken
0: parts. Yeah, exactly. You know? That's why the cover of The Truth is these two puzzle pieces because that like that's how it works. Our our wounds like just fit together. When you find that person who it's just love at first sight and you're, you connect in that way, it's like your wounds are fitting together. That thing you didn't get from a parent, you feel like they also don't give you but you feel like you can get it from them all these wounds fit together perfectly and it creates both the excitement and the tension and everything is that what you referred to as trauma bonding Uh, no trauma bonding is different okay okay. (laughs) what's that because I wanted to ask I love I mean trauma bonding is great trauma bonding is like it often comes from a relationship like where most parents say they love their children not all most parents might Say they love their children, but the way they treat them is not with love. Whenever somebody, I often will ask someone to describe their parents or their caregivers, and they'll say they were loving, they were caring. I say, how do you know they were loving? And that might be the answer. Might be like, well, they're always cool with me. They never bothered me. Like, oh, so they kind of just neglected you, right? <laughs> but they said they loved you all the time. So, so then they might like have friends who are similarly abandoned to them and feel some loyalty to them. Oh man, it breaks my heart. I'm doing sort of a book now that's sort of centered around an individual whose father was like physically abusive with them growing up. Like come home drunk, the family would have to hide in the closet or sometimes the mom would take the family out to a, a hotel. But as the father left, the father doesn't do anymore and this girl still loves dad. She loves dad. You know, and then guess who she dates? She dates guys who are just really unhealthy, who are abusive, who are not good for. And trauma bonding is feeling some sense of loyalty to somebody who is not emotionally or psychologically healthy for you. I definitely had that for a long time. And once I understood the concept, I can let go of it. I remember Ingrid, my wife would say to me like, wait, why are you going to meet that person for dinner? They just like totally dissed you online. I'm like, yeah, but they were like, like three years ago, they really helped me with something. They're like, well, look at their behavior. Why do you feel like you owe them something? You don't want to go to the dinner. Why are you going to dinner with someone who's treated like that? So the
1: trauma bonding sounds like it sort of weaves into people
0: pleasing. Different. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, People-pleasing, there's a great word for it called pathological accommodation. (laughs) Wow, dude. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. And people-pleasing is like, I put other people's needs before my own. So it could still be someone who's great for you, but let's say you have to deal with something or there's something going on for you. You'll just put your needs last and everyone else's needs first.
1: That's interesting. Yeah. So that one, that sounds like sort of a codependent variant of that, like- I think of people pleasing for me as like, you asked me to drive you mm. to the airport mm. and I really, really don't want to for whatever reason, but I want you to like me so bad and right. I want your approval so bad that I agree to do it. Then I resent the fuck out of you the whole way there because you made me do
0: it. Yeah, yeah. so common. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, <laughs> you like, I mean? yeah. you feel like you'll lose me as a friend if I, you don't do that, which if you do, yeah. good riddance. Yeah, Right. totally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, and that's, yeah. you
1: know, looking at it logically, of course, if you're like, this person's not a true friend, if, if I don't comply with whatever their favor, wish, demand, command happens to be like coming home f- to the family for Christmas and you're like, you know what? I really don't feel like it. Like, thank yeah. you for the invite. And then you're disowned. It's like, do I want to be part of that family anyway? Yeah. Like, that doesn't sound like a very loving, <laughs> you know, yeah. understanding,
0: forgiving environment that they're kind of uh, curating over there. There's a great concept. And we're like kind of covering a lot of different concepts. It's great. It's great. We did trauma bonding, pathological accommodation, but there's one that comes from Pia Melody, who again is brilliant, called uh, unconditional positive regard, which is people in relationships expect someone to give them unconditional positive regard, which is they need to approve of everything they do, always support them. But like, that's not really a partner. That's sort of like uh, an employee. Right. So right. one of the yes, big, like yes big things, you of might thing. be like, oh, I'm so upset you don't support me because you disagree with me on that, like, which is insane. And I think like one of the big lessons I learned was letting go of the need for unconditional positive regard for my partner. I want them to be authentic if they disapprove or don't support something or have a difference of opinion, like bring it on.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. So many good things. Definitely one thing I want to cover is the concept of meshment because this was like, the stuff you talked about in the beginning of mm-hmm. the truth was the enmeshment issues with mom and then also moving into sort of the sex addiction exploration so those are two things i want to cover but i had already known about enmeshment and right. i knew i was totally enmeshed with my mom as a kid and you know god bless her and i love my mom right. she might listen to this someday who knows you know um so i you know
0: that's such an enmesh person thing to say <laughs> right? You to, right away right away instead of like i'm going to speak my truth it's like oh Fuck I gotta Neil. right is that interesting oh, it's like I'm already wor- more worried about your, your needs it's so interesting right son of a bitch is your uh, uh, sorry what tell me your name again Monique, Monique. okay yeah. uh, are, were you abandoned Would uh, you have more abandonment and neglect on the dad side yes she just smiled so that's a yes damn um, Which because that's the puzzle piece the puzzle piece is
1: episode number two coming right, next the, yeah that's the, that's, how the,
0: that's the puzzle piece that fits together
1: okay you want to go even deeper um, let's go deeper man yeah uh, Monique, who's in the room, that uh-huh. I'm currently dating, um, right. has a number of health issues. Uh-huh. You know, right? And my mom also has a long history right. of very serious health issues, right. and I always felt like I had to rescue her. So when I was a kid, my mom was really ill, and you know, I want to like divulge what she was ill with. But she had a lot of problems, and I felt responsible for her. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes, when I was a kid, what was she ill with? What was she ill with? Um Alcoholism. Right. And just other physical problems. Right. So it led to a lot of liver damage and stuff? Um yeah, just I, I think just more just dysfunctional right. life, you know. Right. And so in many cases I felt like the parent and responsible for her for her is a little kid. And so it's like and we just had I don't know, yeah. just conversations were very inappropriate as an adult looking back, right? right there were just conversations about sexuality and, and she'd been raised by two very strict parents. She grew up in, six, in the 60s in Berkeley. Right. So it was all about just, you know, it was okay to do drugs and she let me read playboys and like watch Cheech and Chong movies and just like I could do whatever the fuck I wanted I right. could swear I had no rules I had no boundaries there was no control right everything was totally out of control I didn't know if someone was going to be there to pick me up in some cases or if mom was going to be sleeping in until three and wouldn't make breakfast Right, so the was- pattern
0: is so interesting because we overcompensate and then err in the opposite direction because you were saying her parents were so strict so she was so lenient because she didn't want to be like her parents and it was just like the flip side of the same dysfunctional coin
1: Totally. Yeah. yeah, totally. There was an imbalance there, you know. So as I aged, I felt really responsible for her. And even at times as an adult, if I had a, a substantial, meaningful relationship with a female, it's like I almost felt like I was cheating on my mom. And she never liked girls that I brought home, she never approved of them. She always found fault. So with wild, them. right? The she idea of jealous, cheating on your mom, like, right? Of, yeah. This is my perception of it. Uh, that she Guess was what? Nothing jealous.
0: Ma- Nothing matters besides your perception of it. That's all that matters is your perception of it. <laughs> oh, that's my because truth, that's the right? way it affects. Yeah, no, right. not just because it's your truth, because that's the way it psychologically affects you. You know, like they could, the person could have been the best parent ever, but if you perceive it in some way, that's how it psychologically affects you. So that's all that matters.
1: So in in your book, you talk about how you were enmeshed with your mom. What would be right. your definition of that? Well, let's just, just
0: yeah, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you mine uh, for sure. But like you can see how yours thing is enmeshment. Enmeshment is. And how old were you when you were kind of taking care of your mom? You know, one through, well,
1: not, you know, one. No, let me. I was (laughs) was a really intelligent kid. (laughs) She, like, (laughs) rubs the moisturizer and bathed it her (laughs) her nipples afterward. (laughs) No, I mean, my mom was, you know, very loving and. I was not, you know, mistreated as an infant or anything like that. Really? But, you know, as I started to get older, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. As I'm, soon as you were
0: capable of doing it, basically. Yeah, exactly. And right. also
1: her, you know, her drinking escalated uh, during that time when I was a, you know, young teen coming into my teen years. I mean, it got progressively kind of worse. Right. And she started partying a lot. And I was using a lot myself already at a really young age. So it was kind of in, in those formative years. And then I was shipped away because I was unruly when I was 13. It was just like
0: kind of I love it, out man. House, Fucking so. parents, they're like, whatever. a parent says like, this kid's out of control. This kid's out of the way, and they ship them away. Like, dude, you're the problem. You created that. Your family system created that. It drives me nuts. I always thought, yeah. like, you know, like I, I feel like if a child, if anyone who's arrested, their parents should be arrested and tried as well. <laughs> right, right. you so know, like, hey man, I mean that's where that's where it all comes from. Yeah, you know?
1: but even on it's what's <laughs> weird is on a deeper level, like from a sort of yogic or vedic perspective, all of those ancient eastern traditions all sort of lend themselves to the idea that you chose your parents and you chose that exact moment to incarnate right in those circumstances because they were best suited for your own soul's evolution right. you know yep. and, and I, I really feel that that resonates yeah. with me that i got two perfect parents to help me evolve into the person that i was meant to yeah. be and those circumstances were just right you know getting shipped away and all the things that happened since and just it like all the things that happened helped uh, accelerate my going into alcoholism and drug addiction, which eventually led to my demise, which led to my like reemergence and right. literal like rebirth. So had right. none of that trauma ever occurred, who knows? I could have just been dude working on a construction yeah, site, coming out watching TV and yeah, yeah. like maybe oh, no, wasted totally, a man. lifetime.
0: Yeah. No, anyone who's high achieving the society, like definitely usually had a dysfunctional background. You think so? Oh, it's uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Anyone like the super high, you know, right, look at like a guy like or, Tony Robbins,
1: for example. Right, you know, um, Wayne Dyer's another one. You know, right. grew up in orphanage and went on to help you know millions of people. Um,
0: so, so back. Oh, to so your- let's let's talk about enmeshment for yeah. one second. So enmeshment is it's it's a concept that's not well known, but I feel like it should be really well known. Which is we all know about abandonment, which is you have needs and a parent is not there to meet your needs. And by the way, a parent can be present and still abandoning because they're not emotionally present. Or they're just always working,
1: especially now with like your parent on their cell phone. Oh, it's, <laughs> you imagine like how many no, kids are being neglected for like. It's so Facebook? true, man. I
0: think there's probably like a phone abandonment, right? Like yeah. how often are you on your? There's going to be this pathology
1: phone. that develops, you know, that
0: comes to light when the kids right. now come into their. Yeah, 20s or then 30s. the kids 13 are on the phone all the time, and their parents going to punish them. But it's like, well, what was the what do what did you model for them, right? right. Uh, so that's abandonment. Yeah. But then the flip side is the opposite of that is enmeshment, right? Which is when. The child, so neglect is not meeting the child's needs. And enmeshment is the child's there to meet your needs. And it's so subtle that people don't notice it because sometimes it feels good. Like, look, I'm taking care of mom. Look, mom's telling about the problems in her life. Look, mom's like, uh, she's depressed and I'm cheering her up. Look, she's you know, super anxious about me and that's annoying, but hey, at least I know she cares about me. So basically enmeshment is when you're meeting the parent's emotional needs. So for example, You having to save and rescue, you know, your mom and fix the problems, or sometimes, you know, a dad or leaves or mom leaves, and you become the parent of the house. So it's being like falsely parentalized, and uh, and it's really like tough because you don't you don't recognize it as abuse. It feels good, but it really destroys your relationships later in so, life so um how, how did that how did that manifest for, for you in a way that was just oh yeah so, to so, relationships so later? O- often like often is the case is a parent is an unhappy marriage so my mom and dad who are still together mom hates my dad so she'd come in my room and just like complain about dad all the time from an early age and everything. i remember That's that wrong with dad. <laughs> so, yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah i remember she'd say like Whatever you do, never grow up to make anyone as miserable as your dad makes me. Fuck, I remember Which, that. Which like, really from your wired book. me to like leave relationships when I felt like I was making the person sad or or or. or yeah, unhappy. I bet
1: you've said it's not you, it's me a few times. Yeah, yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. A yeah, yeah. That's the result of that. Yeah,
0: yeah. I remember. And, I remember that. And and what happens <clears> more than that, this is what happens on a deeper level. And so uh, yeah, so that was a lot of, and also like a parent with a lot of anxiety. You know, in other words, like, is it parent punishing or disciplining or creating boundaries with a child because that makes them a better child, or are they doing it so they don't feel anxiety when the child is out or doing other stuff? Are you doing it for them or for you? It could be the exact same thing and be falsely empowering. And even something as horrible as physical or sexual abuse can come across as neglect. Neglect is you don't matter. You know, enmeshment is you could feel special because you're being called out, uh, you know, in those ways. So these things, they're, they're very subtle and dynamic and there it's, it's called like kind of complex trauma. It's not so simple. Um, so what was the net effect for you, so, I'm curious, as yeah, an or, adult? I mean, it's the religion. same as it, is, as it is for anyone, which is, so the big kind of effect of enmeshment is one, you generally choose like, you know, needy people to take care of. Here's the cycle. You choose a needy person to take care of. You chose that person and then guess what? They become needy and whatever you do is never enough. So you start to think I'm doing everything I can they're still not happy and then you start to resent them and then you start to sort of like still stay in the relationship and pretend to be taking care of them whilst outliving your own, you know, secret life. And, uh, and that creates a resentment. As you pull away more, they get more needy. And it just creates the needier they get, the more you resent them. And it creates this like terribly dysfunctional relationship, which is like basically all my relationships up to now. <laughs>
1: It's now time for a very brief yet important announcement. Would you like to do something to support the show? I know you would. How about going into iTunes and leaving a rating and review? This is the number one way that you can help support a podcast. The more ratings and reviews a podcaster like me gets in iTunes, the higher my rank goes up. And the higher my rank goes up, the bigger and better guests, like our lovely guest Neil, I'm able to get. So to do your part to support the show, Go into iTunes, leave a five-star rating and a review. If that's difficult for you to figure out, I've made it hella easy. Here's what you do. Go to lukestory.com forward slash how to iTunes review where I've created a nice, simple infographic with an explanation on how to do that. So go to lukestory.com forward slash how to iTunes review. Or if you're an internet whiz, just go on there and do it yourself. Thank you so much for listening. And now back to the interview. Did it manifest for you in the same way for me, which was... I felt so smothered and trapped yeah. and like, I just couldn't breathe a lot as a kid. So totally up until, for honest, I don't mean, this sounds like I'm just kissing your ass so hard, but up right. until I read your book, right. like I literally refused to ever be monogamous. I right. mean, I was just like first date, like, Hey, so here's the deal. No right. marriage, no kids, no monogamy. Right. You in to right. give it
0: a shot. No, great. Thanks. Take care. Yeah. I mean, I literally was that fucking straight up with yeah. it. And there's nothing by the way, and there's nothing wrong with any lifestyle choice of monogamy, non-monogamy abstinence. It's all why you're doing it. Well, It's here's not the thing. what you're doing.
1: Here's the thing. It wasn't even about, I mean, in you know, hindsight. For you, it was about 20, avoiding
0: the intimacy and yeah, the suffocation. Yeah, exactly.
1: It's like, I didn't want to feel trapped. It's not just like, where can I put my penis or not? It's like, right. I don't want to become so open and vulnerable and so close or feel responsible for someone to the degree where it impinges on my sense of personal autonomy and freedom yeah you know so it's like any relationship I got in I felt like the walls closing in on me and so I would demand this sort of freedom and that just expressed itself through the you know the license or you know privilege to go out and have sex outside of a relationship which ultimately proved to be not only destructive to my relationships but also destructive just to me and my
0: moral fiber and it was just nobody won in that scenario so I'm I'm, yeah. Like that, that's a good, like effect It's really like, if somebody like I remember like Ingrid or someone would like kind of hug me and be really affectionate with me. And I just feel like my skin crawl. Yeah, like I just went yeah. like, I'd be like, like don't love me yeah, that yeah. hard. <laughs> like, and then how the face. Yeah. And so like, and it's interesting. Once I learned some, there's some good tools to sort of deal with that that help that. That's what, I'm,
1: that's what I'm getting at. So one of the first things that I did, and it sounds like from your book that you did this to a degree is I, unfortunately in kind of a sloppy way, sort of divorced my mom it's mm-hmm. like i really just I don't oh, know, you have to yeah no in it's my true. early 30s i mean i just sort of like the contact just started to diminish sort of at right. my doing and eventually we just really had no communication and, right <laughs> and that yeah. caused a lot of pain and resentment in her but it was sort of like fuck i had to save myself it's like I, my lifeboat was like getting lowered and i'm like i'm getting in the fucking thing because yeah. i had that awareness that i couldn't carry on having that sort of like codependent immashed, and meshed. And also the space in your heart for someone
0: else is taken up by your mom. And by the way, for, for, for people listening, for, for heterosexual women, it's how the relationship is with dad. I remember once I was talking to somebody, it's like a lot of times when your daddy's a little girl. Like that's a creepy thing to be. <laughs> right? Like uh, also if you're, if it's, uh, if you're attracted to the same sex, it's the relationship with the same sex parent. So you can look at the parent who's of the same, generally of the same sex you're attracted to. Interesting. So... When you kind of had to do your own version. And other quick notes. Sorry, I know. Yeah, yeah, no, it's good. Uh, so Ingrid was enmeshed by her mom, uh, so she's really avoided for female friendships. As good as one of her female friends is like dumping emotional baggage on her. You're smiling, is that true of you? <laughs> That's true this is of you. So great, Yeah. Man. I wish we had five smiling. hours, honestly. Yeah. Like, this is
1: just it's too rich. There's yeah. too many
0: right. there's too many threads. And then she just distances themselves with them as soon as she gets needy. And sometimes she gets in the I don't know if this is true of you, Monique, but sometimes she gets in the situation herself and will like try to help someone and then they get a little bit too needy and she just does pushes them away. Is that a yes? Yeah.
1: Yeah, those of you listening to the podcast, we have you know guests in the audience here that yeah. we're interacting <laughs> with. Right. Yeah, um, so so for me, when I made that move to just become an adult man, and it was you know it was really it was keeping me very uh, sort of infantile and immature as just a male to right. have that like still be on the teat of mom, so to speak, and and have that sort of unhealthy emotional bond. And it was like I really started to grow up a bit when I did that, but there were repercussions, and it's taken years to sort of like make contact and and still sort of working on what is an acceptable and healthy mm, amount of intimacy and closeness and the resentment and the hurt was so deep on her end that you know I don't know that she at this point wants that much of a relationship you know so it's I don't know it's
0: like what wait so so wait let me let me kind of explain a little bit. And by the way, I wanna make one other disclaimer for the yeah. for, 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 for listeners, because there's a certain percentage of people listening, maybe like twenty percent, who are thinking, like, oh, you're just blaming your parents for what's wrong with you. So I want to make clear like none of this is blame. This is just like the way you are programmed. Like everyone, every parent most parents do the best they can given who they are. And unless you can look at it objectively and say, hey, this is what helped this is what didn't help and then take responsibility it's not their fault you're t- we're taking responsibility for it but it's understanding yourself a certain percentage of people really see this as, as blaming parents and it really isn't it's just like if you look at the way the brain is formed that's how the brain is formed and built and all the neural connections are built in those first you know especially those first like you know 3 to 6 years but you know up to maybe 17 18 like all your neural con- everything all, everything's being wired in by your caregivers and especially when something's repeated thousands and thousands of times is that phrase the cells that fire together wire together. This is your wiring and now it's up to you to overcome it. But to overcome it, first you have to understand your wiring without anger and without blame. It's just the way it is and you've got to understand your you gotta under if you don't know why you're doing something, then it's time for to take an exploration of why
1: Absolutely. I mean yeah. that's just like for me becoming a drug addict, I don't okay. Yeah, I was surrounded by drugs when I was a kid. That was right. my environment my environment but I made decisions <laughs> myself, yeah. you know, it's like, I was told, don't do this, don't do that. And I was like, fuck you, I'm doing what I want. And so right. there I am as an adult, like with yeah. the life that's in the toilet and assuming responsibility, right. assuming responsibility gives me power. So it's right. like in the situation with my mom, I actually feel I, and it's unfortunate. There were some hard feelings and some feelings hurt in that sort of divorce, for lack of a better term. But I still feel good about the progress I right. was able to make, and and there was no blame for me involved. It was just like I'm stepping over here on my side of the street. I'm keeping my yard clean. I got right. to take care of
0: my shit. It's not even about the parent
1: or right. One of my favorite teachers says it's just, like
0: it's about me moving forward with right. life in a healthy way. Yeah, yeah. When my favorite teacher says, when you feel guilt, you're doing the work of separation. With your parents, so I want to. So let's talk. Let's talk about this divorce. I want to understand it. Yeah, uh, well, I want to know better. about yours. Yeah, yeah, totally. I can talk mine <laughs> too. Um, it's it's so and, funny, uh, dude. Because when you else. when you're Go interviewed, ahead. Neil, yeah. I'm
1: just, like uh-huh. you, you spend a lot of time. On the interviewer and like digging into them, which I, th- I think is brilliant. But what's so funny about right. it is in your books, you're so fucking like deeply transparent. Right. It's like, oh my God. When, when I write, read a book like The Truth, I'm like, dude, I can't believe he's like writing right, about right. this and actually yeah, released yeah. the book. No, yeah,
0: and it's not an avoidance thing. It's because, well, I already know my story. I don't know as much as yours. Right. So I, it's like, to me, like I operate on curiosity. Totally. so by me talking about what I already know, it's less a I, learning I, thing. It totally so It's, just, it's not a technique or anything. It's just like, oh, I'm more curious about you than my story that I already know. Thank you
1: for saying yeah. that. Because I'm
0: always like, why does he always do that? Because <laughs> right. in his
1: books, he says everything. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah.
0: Because there's no one to talk to but me. But and, and, you, and I'm learning by writing about it. I, just, I recommend writing for, to everyone, even if you're not a writer. But by writing about it, that process, I don't know what I'm going to write before I write it. I don't even know what the conclusion is before I write it. But by writing it, that becomes the process of self-discovery. Awesome. Okay, so what were you gonna ask? About I was, just, the, I was the gonna. So, so yeah. So tell me like how it went down. It seems like you like there's some weird feelings around.
1: Well, it. Well, you know, honestly, it's just I did it under the guidance of. Um, sort of a mentor that I was working with. And he was a lot older than I and saw like, he's like, I don't know if you ever looked at this man, but you have a pretty twisted relationship with your mom. And I think it's really holding you back from becoming a fully integrated adult male. And so I'm going to recommend that you step back a little bit from that relationship and get some perspective and stop being so, I don't know, he didn't use the word a mesh, but it was just, it just, to him, it was apparent that it was not healthy and it was kind of um, stunting my growth and my maturity. And so I didn't really know how to do that in terms of the mechanics. Like, do you sit down and have a talk? Hey, we were a mesh mom. I can tell you how how you do it and how how I did it. So So I just kind of ghosted and that was maybe a little bit of a crude method in Mm -hmm. terms of the mechanics of like how to untangle from that. And now I'm sort of in the process many, many, many years later of trying to kind of mend fences and and find a workable way of relating that's healthy for both of us, you know?
0: Right. It's like one of my like... Uh, mentor said like it's new sports and weather it's like the relationships that you have with <laughs> yeah, an professional yeah. mom oh, that's, but, you know. but here's how you do it and I think this is true of all of all relationships which is you have a conversation I always let someone know what i'm doing I don 't kind of ghost I say hey here's the. actually just advise I just advise someone to do this the other day and it's the exact same thing I did because they're I think they're 34 um, and uh, and their mom's always saying you know you really got to get a job you really got to do this with your life you know you're just not doing this and uh, and I said just tell her this, and this is what I said, is like, okay, you've been telling me that same thing for like 20 years now. And obviously, like, I think your intentions are good. but Maybe it's not working, but reinforcing the idea, or maybe I'm rebelling against it by doing the opposite, or it's reinforcing the idea that maybe I'm a loser. So I'd like to try something which is like, let's not have that discussion anymore, because clearly it's not working, right? Even though your intentions are good. And, uh, And sometimes maybe it's having the opposite effect. And so, what I want to do is not discuss this or talk about that with my mom. It was like I don't want to hear anything negative about my dad. You know, I don't want to hear how he's a piece of shit and you know never cared about me or whatever your, your story is. I don't want to. I don't need to hear that. It doesn't help me. That's what I said. I said like, I'm in a relationship now. I like I'm ready to get married, and I don't want to hear about like what's wrong with dad and what's wrong with your relationship with dad. It's not helping my relationship.
1: All right. Um, you know, it's sort it, of like <laughs> telling someone the things that you want to share with me are none of my business, but you think they are. And I'd like to keep right. them none of my business. Yeah, yeah, but it's right? something with
0: compassion. It's kind of like what you said earlier, that it's not you, it's me talk. It's right. kind of like, it's not you, it's me. It's not what right. you're saying is good, but it's me. Yeah, yeah, so, uh yeah. And so I say, from now on, let's just not have that discussion anymore. And if you do it, I'll just say, hey, let's not talk about that. If you continue to do it, I'll just kind of hang up. But no hard feelings, I'll just hang up. I just It's almost like not good for my psychological health. Were there
1: health. repercussions for being so... Detailed in the description of your family dynamics when your book came out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Not happy. Doesn't talk to me. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and so, that's her
0: choice, right? And right. But I did. I did call. I said, "Hey, this stuff is going to be in the book, and if you want, I can change something. You know, all I care is about my story. Like, I can just change your identify your names, where you're from, uh, your identifying description. Then you can just tell your friends I made it up, right? Right. So which is always options. a possibility. Yeah, Right. You
1: never really know. It's like the author's word against the audience, you know. Yeah, um, so so
0: and yeah, like to me it's just I want the integrity of my story and the way that, can, that it can help other people. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, and fucking
1: A it did, man. It, yeah. it continues to. So And that's what
0: then that was like a big break which is like, "Oh, I'm going to take care of my needs and I'm only going to tell the parts of your story that are relevant to who I am. I don't need to tell Right. You know, stuff that isn't relevant to the idea of enmeshment or what made me, what made me me. Another
1: thing you've explored is the concept of sex addiction. And right. this is something that, you know, I mean,
0: I've been addicted to all but, kinds but let, of- let me pause because I think okay. there's probably like a certain percentage of the audience yeah. that needs to have this discussion with their parents. Like a okay. lot of parents are just, you know, expect, call you expecting you to fix their problems, right? Mom or dad calls with the problems in their life. Stop listening to it, draw the boundary. Or they call to tell you what you need to be doing with your life draw the boundary, and they call to use you as their therapist, draw the boundary, or they call because they need, the only exception is if they're like really a dependent elder, like they're in the hospital, or they need medical care and attention, and here's the crazy thing, when you stop kind of helping them with their emotional problems, or being uh, the receptacle for their control, or disappointment, or anxiety issues, they'll move on to someone else, as soon as I right. did it, my mom moved on to my brother. He did the same thing. Then she moved on to someone else. Wow! Like they'll find they'll wow. find someone else because part of this stuff is like you feel necessary. Like oh, mom needs me, and it fills something in you. And so letting go of that is a two way street.
1: And it sounds like sort of a form of enabling too. You know, it's like if you have someone that has reoccurring issues um, and neurosis, and they're using you as a dumping ground, and you keep being the receptacle for those issues, it's sort of. Gives them a reason to not fucking change. It's like yeah. giving an addict money for crack every day, and then being right. pissed off because they're smoking crack. It's like, well, stop giving them money, kick them out of the house, right, like put them in a position where they're forced to take responsibility for their own life. Do you think that's part of it?
0: Yeah, yeah, and but the difference being is you're not going to expect mom to change or dad to change when you do this, right? Right. You might stop enabling your friend and have an intervention and hope right. you help them get into rehab, but here it's like. First of all, they're at least 20 years older than you, twice as old as you in, in, in some cases, and just accept that they're not going to change. And if they do, that's their business.
1: Yeah, I've noticed that. You're not their parent. There's a certain point at which people, the likelihood of someone having a huge catalyst turnaround is right. not
0: that. Right. <laughs> not I, I, have, <laughs> I, I have a friend whose like, <laughs> dad was like just critical, overwhelming, like you know, tough dad, uh, fell in hard times and moved in with his son, and the son, like, his career just took a downhill slide. And as soon as he finally worked up the guts for his dad to move out, all of a sudden, everything started operating on all cylinders yeah, again. Yeah. You'll notice these effects. I noticed, like, if I would talk to my mom and she'd pour, like, I think it was, like, pouring poison down my ears sometimes. Afterward, I'd be, like, more resentful and snappy with Ingrid.
1: Right, right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Negative energy. You take on negative energy. Yeah. It's, all, it's all
0: energy. Or it's, like, it's more like, I think of it more like you have PTSD, and just went back to the battlefield
1: mm, so you're more sensitive
0: more, for sure. more uh jumpy
1: for sure okay so you're talking about sex the other addiction. thing i want to talk about is sex addiction because this is something having been addicted to all kinds of different things in my life like i've always been i wouldn't say yeah maybe hypersexual. i mean more sexual probably than a lot of my male friends my same age and even right. younger in certain cases and have had some negative repercussions of my behavior um
0: what's the most negative uh, I think just inadvertently. <laughs> look, look at your girlfriend paying attention right now. She all said, I saw this. Like, like her eyes it. went straight to Why you. Why did I bring her?
1: <laughs> um, I had set myself up. You know, hurt feelings, meaning to be upfront and honest with people and saying, hey, we're just having fun is the thing. But maybe allowing it to become too close, too intimate, uh, lacking the discipline sometimes to really like say and do Uh, something the same way, saying things, but then doing other things and sending mixed messages, things like that. Um, And just simple shit, staying up too late, neglecting responsibilities, just like partying with sex kind of, and things like that, you know? Um, But here's the thing is like, they You kind of got a little vague there, right? Monique. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's sort of, I'm not going to be that specific. It's sort of like, I don't know. The sex addiction thing is weird to me because it's sort of like food addiction or eating disorders. It's like, We're fucking sexual. You have to have sex. You have to eat. Whereas, like for me, I'm a heroin addict. I do not fuck with heroin. I am an alcoholic. I don't drink champagne, beer, wine, whiskey. I just don't drink. That's the problem with what they call. I don't use nicotine. Yeah,
0: this is what they call process addictions, which are like you know could be eating disorders, sexual disorder, intimacy disorders, uh, um, you know, exercise. Some people are addicted to. To exercise and things that look healthy on the outside. I Wish so, I could get addicted to that. <laughs> right. No, you so know, because those those are the people who are always like getting knee surgery and that's shoulder true, surgery. That's true, yeah. and I just did my out. fourth marathon. And, like, this and year. like their their partners are complaining because they're always like you know training for that marathon. That's true. Um, yeah. um or so work or work addiction too. But like so, those are things where like like it's easy with like just stop drinking, just stop shooting up, just stop you know putting these chemicals in your body. With this, it's like oh, only have sex with that person. Under these circumstances, so process addictions are tough.
1: Well, that's the thing. I mean, when you explored like sex rehab in the book, their definitions, and I've never—that's like a part of recovery I've never, you know, gotten into.
0: Yeah, but it's, it's like no, just kidding. <laughs> Dude, yeah. So
1: like. If you're like sober with sex, you can't masturbate. You can only have sex in a committed relationship. Like, there's these really fucking crazy sort of restrictions and rules in order for you to develop your own. Bo- I guess everyone has yeah. their own individual bottom line, but it's like, how do you even define your quote unquote sobriety or recovery? Yeah, it's very some of that this area so, yeah. it's so tricky. So what what, this, go ahead. what I want to ask is. Is there such thing as sex addiction, or do you just have some people that are hornier than others and that use sex as kind of medicine and a coping mechanism?
0: Yeah, I mean, the real answer is like it doesn't matter. Like right. all these things are just words that's a bunch of people made up to define a set of stuff. Right. Right. Like they're all the and and so, but it is true that the idea of sex addiction is used by religious and moral groups to uh, make a certain kind of behavior sinful. I think Sexaholics Anonymous, if you have sex, so. If you have sex before marriage, right, you're a sex addict. If you masturbate, you're a sex addict. If you watch pornography, you're a sex addict. So like I probably just made like 99% of the people listening <laughs> That's sex the thing. Addicts. Guess that's, what? Welcome to the club. I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's the thing, you know? I mean... Uh, but so here's my thought, and this is how yeah. I always do everything, and it relates to the first thing we're talking about, about taking feedback. It's like yeah. when I decided to go to rehab for sex addiction... Which let's say sounds like a very, is a very shameful thing, right? It's not something you're going to like put on your Facebook wall. Yeah, it's like a <laughs> right? cooler to tweet to about, like, hey guys, a junkie
1: than it is like, yeah, I can't stop jacking off or whatever. <laughs> right, you know,
0: right. it's like, oh wow. Um, and it just sounds like you want to keep away from from so, so, but I just thought, well, my relationships aren't working. Um, like I'm cheating or being cheated on. Uh, it's not going to hurt me to go there and learn whatever I have to learn and take the good and leave the bad behind so it's funny I went into there and most of the guys in my kind of sex addiction group most of them had like cheated on their relationship none were like what you'd think of as sex addicts before I got there Uh, one guy I thought was a marriage addict like he was just in a really miserable and happy marriage and did have an affair which was wrong to lie and cheat but the real problem was not being authentic with himself and staying in an unhappy miserable marriage that he couldn't get out of so the truth is like I always think like I always think: Is it going to hurt? If it's not going to hurt, you might as well do it. So the answer to me is like: Is sex addiction real? Well, I don't know if it matters, but you have a, is sex hurting your life in some way? Are you having intimacy disorders? Go get some help. But the tools. This is why I love rehab. I love rehab because lives are at stake. So in other words, like if you just go see a therapist, right? How do you well, how do you measure whether you're getting better, or getting worse? How do you measure like whether it's really working? And the therapist is invested, kind of un, subconsciously. In one to feel like you're improving to validate their, their own selves, but there's no treatment plan, there's no end. You know how do you know? But when you go to rehab, well, it's pretty clear: either you stop drinking, or you stop, or you don't. You stop using, or you don't. You stop lying and cheating in a relationship, or you don't. You stop, you know, binge eating and purging, or you don't. So what I like about that is that, like it has to work. It has to work because lives are at stake. So the best tools for dealing with trauma and behavioral change are in the addiction community, I believe. Yeah, that's been my experience. Yeah. I it, mean it all great.
1: it all starts from there and it's funny because I've been sober now twenty years, right? And I've explored so many other areas of personal development and spirituality, right. and gone to India and meditation, all this stuff. And what's funny, dude, it's like there's all you know. I think you, you've said you know that all self-help books are basically the same fucking book, right? Just in a different vernacular, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like I've found I've gone on all these journeys of exploration. It's like at the end, it all kind of comes back to just core spiritual principles mm-hmm. that were the first thing I learned in rehab: right. self-honesty, willingness taking inventory of yourself, making amends, admitting when you're wrong, forgiving yourself, forgiving other people, unconditional love, um, acceptance, surrender, just all these like very base sort of simple spiritual laws. Right. And it's like at the end of the day, you sort of just, I've come full circle so many times back to that, the stuff
0: that actually works. Well, Yeah. And let me explain why it's like sound simple, but it's deep is there's an NLP model about the levels of who you are, right? And the outside of who you are as your environment. So some people think, and this happens, like I want to change or I want to stop using or I want like to do this and so I'm just going to move somewhere else and create a new life. And then you find that you end up in the same pattern somewhere else. And then one level deeper is your behavior. So a lot of things that people really love is like behaviors, drink this, take this, do this, talk like this, but you'll find like, it's hard to stick to some of those things. And if it's hard to, if you're trying to make a behavioral change and you can't, then you know it's deeper than a behavioral problem. It's a belief problem. I think between behavior is capabilities what you're capable of doing. Then I think it's beliefs underneath that. I'm going one level deeper deeper into who you are. A level deeper than beliefs is identity, and at the very deepest level is your spirituality. So, and this is an NLP model. So That's interesting. Yeah. Wow. So the thing is, if you if, so in other words, if you make an environmental shift, it's a very shallow shift you're still you. But if you make a spiritual shift, and the spirituality, by the way, is just your belief of what the world is, how it works, what are the principles you know, that create existence and create you as there a meaning and a purpose to your life, all those kinds of things. So you make a spiritual shift, all those other layers on the outside all shift with it, right? Your environment, it's just like the top wheel turns. Here, if you're turning the sixth wheel, all the wheels turn. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> that is fucking
1: epic. Right. I've never heard that, but yeah. that has absolutely been my, I, that's what I'm saying. It's yeah. like, it comes full circle and you do all these surfacey little adjustments here and learn this technique and this and that. And it's like therapy and all that stuff, which I find immense value in, but it always does come down to like the biggest shifts come from that spiritual
0: right. point of view. And that's it's hard so to cool. change that. Yeah. And you, if you listen to people like, I, in fact, you know, things are so politically charged, but I often find there's certain people who have- your spiritual belief also kind of often says what kind of party you belong to and who you support. Like it's wow. interesting. I can hear the way somebody speaks about evolution or something and know who they support as a candidate. Right, right. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Um, yeah. So, so, uh, so I think that's why those kind of deep principles you're talking about work but it's hard to make that shift. How do you really change the way you think about the universe yeah. or the meaning of your life or the, or that you have a purpose? <laughs> I or know not. how you do it. Yeah. You gotta hit a
1: fucking bottom, my friend. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I've never seen anyone make really meaningful, substantial changes on a deep, deep level like that, unless yeah. they've hit some kind of wall and they're like, okay. Yep. And that ego gets shattered <laughs> right. enough where they're yep. teachable. That's, That's my own experience. That's
0: it. It's like, I'm, I'm out of ideas, man. Yeah, exactly. I'll take someone else's. Exactly. I'm not as smart as I thought I was. Exactly. That's why like uh, smart people make the worst addicts because they, Still think they're smart, yeah. Um, but yeah, back to what you were saying. It's really true. It's like I think like the number one thing, and I think I talked about this at that bulletproof talk you're at, is the uh, the number one thing necessary for change. And I'll ask you, I always ask the audience, what's the number one thing, and they'll throw out all these ideas, and they're always wrong. But you just hit on the number one thing necessary for to make a real change, which is humility.
1: Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that I mean, that's it's funny because that's one of my favorite principles to. I don't want to say research sounds weird because it's not an intellectual process, but it's something that I value a lot, but it's tricky because you can't talk about humility right. or else you don't have any. <laughs> you know I mean? right. like, okay. Let's, right. I'm going to do a podcast on humility. teach today. you how to be <laughs> humble. <You know> what <laughs> I mean? it's, like,
0: it's just this fucking automatic right. dichotomy. You can't, it's right. like something you can't right. actually talk right. about right. or else you've, Nullified any on <laughs> yeah, in- the humility inkling. Jedi. Yeah, totally. <laughs> the
1: humility so, guru. <laughs> I heard this, this like tape one they have a personal development guy comes out on stage and he goes, Okay, um thank you everyone. You know, huge crowd. You can hear like five thousand people. It's like I was gonna give my talk on humility tonight, but there's not enough full seats. Plays, I don't know if you guys are ready, you know, right, kind of that's thing. Funny, you know, it's man. fucking great. Yeah. Um, so as as we close out here, um, you know, at some point, I'm gonna just have to bug you for a part two because yeah. we didn't even touch on monogamy as a concept or exclusivity, which is fucking huge. But we'll we'll right. tease it and we'll get to
0: it another time because it's too big. Yeah, yeah. and I have a, like a real unique, and I don't have a name for it, but a thought on how relationships can be for everyone and how they kind of should be. We're stuck. About, I'll just say it. we can just talk about something else next time. But um, okay, <laughs> okay. You, and when we can go into it in depth. But I feel okay. like when you start to realize there are a lot of concepts we have that we feel are real things, but they're just made up shit, like. And, and like what they might say is like false dualities, right? Like monogamy, non-monogamy, they're just made up words. No, there's no such fucking thing. Or virginity and losing your virginity, just made up shit. Who made up that, the idea that one thing is, it's made up shit, <laughs> made up shit. <laughs> right. And then we follow as if it's like a big decision. It's all made up. And I think a relationship is just two people together making an agreement of how they want to live their lives. So I just think you get in a relationship and you decide, you make an agreement how you want to live. And if that stops working, you renegotiate and you make a new agreement and that's, includes the decision of whether to be sexually or romantically exclusive or not. So
1: communication sounds like the kingpin of that, like honest, authentic, deep communication in order to arrive at those agreements or those circumstances. And the way to
0: determine whether, because I know a lot of guys, kind of like you were saying, uh, you can think about whether it's healthy or not by this kind of little tool, which is I just think there's three entities. We kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier. There's in the relationship, there's me, there's the person or people in the relationship, each is their own entity, and then there's the relationship itself. So let's just say it's uh, two partners. I'm one entity, you're another entity, the relationship is the third entity. So is this choice to healthy for all three of us? Because mm. for example, if I'm really attracted to someone and I wanna go sleep with them, and you're like, well, yeah, I don't want you to do that, but I guess I'm gonna let you do that, even though I kinda hate it, but I really wanna be cool with you. Well, it's not really good for you, it's not good for the relationship. So you just have to think, am I feeding all three of these things? And then it's kind of okay
1: that's brilliant yeah I think again largely as a result of of that book man I'm telling you it just like shit fucked me up but I was always because of that enmeshment stuff I think I think a lot is tied in I was so petrified of feeling trapped and like I can't sow my wild oats and I really valued the right or the privilege to have sex with random people at various times and and what I was afraid of this deep-seated fear of losing my quote-unquote freedom and my autonomy yeah what I started to find, actually, what I'm finding now, Neil, it's just, it's so amazing, is that really, like, the true freedom that I'm slowly discovering, thank God, is the ability to really fucking be vulnerable, and to really allow someone to love me, and to really love someone else, and it, to me, it just makes, like, the sexual freedom so irrelevant. It's like, I don't even think about that anymore. I actually, like, I'm craving exclusivity and the safety that's created for my heart when I know that it's safe for me to come out, you know, because it's been so hard for me to like really reveal who I am and just be myself and be authentic is such an overused word. But I mean, just like really, really, real, real with someone. Where I don't yeah. have any fucking secrets. Yeah. And they see all the weird shit about me that I think I'm unlovable for. Right. And I'm finding a new definition of freedom within that. And you know, who knows how that manifests later as physical rules or you know, right. things that you set up. And but can it's you like, accept
0: that in the other person as well? It's <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, right, that's right, easy to like, right. throw, you put all your shit on the line, yeah. but can you also accept all their shit? Can you
1: love them unconditionally mm-hmm. when they're able to come to the table with that same degree right. of um,
0: transparency? Right. Or you don't have to like it, but can you accept it? Right. Um, and it's funny too, that note. For me, the big epiphany was I kind of was like you. Like, I wanted to be free. I didn't want to have a home. I want to travel wherever I wanted. I didn't want to have a boss. I wanted to work however I wanted. I didn't want to be in a relationship. I wanted to be free. But that wasn't freedom. That's what I'm because saying. Because if you're not free to commit, then you're trapped. You're fucking trapped. Right. It's like in an eagle, fear. like flying a bird can, doesn't, can't fly around forever without having a perch or somewhere to land. <laughs> totally, man. It's exhausting.
1: Totally. And that's such a beautiful thing to discover. And thank you for, in your roundabout way, helping me to arrive at that. And it's, yeah. it's like one of the most amazing thing that has ever happened to me. And it, it's, it's just now kind of emerging. I'm just having that awareness. It's like, wow, the first time in my life, like, I really am not interested in anyone else i'm interested in seeing what's possible in terms of a true partnership with someone you know and and having the safety and the space to be able to do that which is just sounds so weird to hear my voice right yeah it's awesome right you're full of shit i'm like no it's real it's real like i'm not delusional this is it's really is a different kind of freedom right and And that freedom that's why why you're wearing
0: your heart on your sleeve today by the way i literally (laughs) am wearing a heart on my sleeve
1: that was pointed out earlier great so thank you for that and and all the work man. man and you know just for being a great friend and inspiration. You're someone I've called in some times of need and yeah. you're a very wise guy. And it's you know, there's not that many people I will call and be like, hey, here's a situation going on. What do you think? Like give me 10 minutes and hey. just like bust balls. And you're like, all right, motherfucker, let's go. You right. know? Hey, here's yeah. what I see and I, I really value that. So thank you. Awesome, man. Um, in closing, you've taught me tons of stuff today. You continue to teach the world through your books and your inner exploration. In the context of relationships,
0: intimacy, sex, all of this, who are three meaningful teachers to you? Someone mentioned earlier, Rick Rubin, because he was the one who like just kept pointing out the folly of my ways for like a solid year. He was
1: like your Yoda in the he, book.
0: He, he was like my Yoda, but I was I was like worse than Luke. I was like <laughs> it was like Yoda trying to deal with Boba Fett or something. <laughs> right, you know, right. we want to kind of nerd out on it. But like I really like I really like kept arguing with him about why he was wrong. Just when his patience was about to be exhausted, I finally sort of like Realize that it. it's amazing. Everyone listening, you're getting all the right people are telling you exactly what you need to hear. You're just not listening. It's all out there. The stuff you're just not listening. And especially people in self improvement too. They want to work on one little window of their life, but uh it's like you know the rest of the house that needs to be fixed. That window's nice and shiny. I want
1: your other two. But oh, we, the other two. I'll give but you, No, yeah. but would you <laughs> say that in your own experience? Because this has been for <laughs> me subjectively by far, with the exception maybe of addictions and the recovery from that, but exploring a relationship in a very vulnerable and open way has allowed me to grow and change faster and reveal really uncomfortable truths about myself more than any other like personal development shit workshops you know seminars like all that seems to pale in comparison of just trying to get to know someone and get along and do as little damage to each other as possible and and grow together would you say a relationship is like one of the top if not the top tools to really reveal in you what needs to evolve oh
0: for sure whether it's where a romantic relationship or with your with kids, too, in the sense of uh, you can't control the other person, like in everything else that like a work relationship or even a friendship, you can. It's easy to cut them off or, or 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 what have you. But yeah, in a relationship where you just can't control them and you have to sort of like wait, not what's well. that <laughs> exactly exactly. <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> and then, yeah it's funny because I mean that's that's where like you're really dealing with another individual that's different than you and negotiating all this stuff so I feel like relationships are really where the rub is and especially in your romantic relationship is where your uh, issues come out that were programmed into you by your parenting growing up so if you're just on your own they don't come up till you're in a relationship especially you know it's that like six month to one year period where most people break up because like When you start dating, you idealize someone. You project a fantasy onto them, and then you start to see, wait, like you're doing that. I don't like that. Well, you tricked me. You weren't like you know, and you start to see like things, who they are, come out, and then can you still accept them? And and uh, and when they push your buttons, uh, which has nothing to do with them, it's all about you. Can you kind of recognize that? But I think in relationship, you can do the most work in relationship. So, I think an important point to stress that often isn't discussed if you are those trauma puzzle pieces fitting together and you're rubbing them in one way and they're rubbing you in another way, if you can become conscious about it and really work on it together, then you both get to heal and that's like the most powerful. So you think that's possible? Of course it's possible. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> if you're favoriting someone who's equally Cause who's conscious. Because you've like pulled my
1: covers on so many things and I'm like, right. oh, I'm doomed, shit, yeah. you
0: know? And it's like But If you're able to kind of discuss that with someone who's conscious about
1: that. If both people are willing yeah. to, to go there and have yeah, the yeah. courage and stamina to fucking weather the storm each within and, themselves. And, and each entity. in
0: their own way. I love it when like one partner starts like gets, you know, attached to like the biohacking stuff and the other isn't and the biohacking partner thinks they're so much better than the other person or the person starts going to therapy or some of these intensives and they start to think they're better. You're like, oh you're you're just like repeating a damaging. Or cycle how about
1: of- like you think of shit to fix the other person? that like for me you mentioned the Hoffman process you told me about it Yeah, a friend of mine went by the way and it's resounding reviews but I've had the thought in my mind you know what I think she needs to go to the Hoffman process and I'm like I haven't even fucking gone. gone. you know what I'm saying it's like yeah I'll think of all the things that I could or should be doing and I'm just going to tell them to do it because I can just I know because I know I'm you know almighty so thank you for that but in the interest of time because I know you got to go last two recommendations on on teachers or teachings in this area Lately,
0: I like uh, Laird and Hamilton and Gab- Gabby Reese, like as far as especially like the health stuff, and really like a lot of the health and a lot of the breathing. And they've been like just huge Do you have a good, good
1: influence out here in your neighborhood? Right. People around here are doing cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: no, no, it's great. I really don't have to leave the, uh, the block. And the third one is probably Elmo. Uh, I love Elmo, the, the children's character. Okay, uh, okay. Because like he's just curious and positive. And my son watches Elmo, and I'm like, that's a great role model for me. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Neil. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right.
1: So lastly, tell us what, you, anything you, that's not under wraps that you're working on or you want to promote? I mean, your podcast is fantastic. Uh, the Truth Barrel. Anything else you want to talk about?
0: Uh, no, I, mean, I think I'm just excited about this new, I'm um, like trying to solve like a case of somebody who went missing right now for, uh, for, for a book or a project. And I'm like about to do that as soon as we're done. Then, cool. I mean, it'll probably be out. It'll be out when it's out, but That's what I'm excited about doing right now. Rad, man. Good to
1: see you. Thanks so much for joining me today. It's been very meaningful. I appreciate the fact that you finally made time for me. Yeah, awesome, man. Yeah, dude. Thank you. Yeah. Aw, shit. What a reality check that was, my friend, huh? Did any of those bells get rung for you? I know they did for me. taking a hard look at some of the stuff that neil and i talked about in this particular conversation dude is very knowledgeable and it was a really enlightening talk for me i hope that you benefited as much as i did as always if you know someone that needs a little help with love and relationships on the romance tip Please share this episode with them. And by all means, make sure that you subscribe to this show so you don't miss any upcoming episodes, the least of which being Dr. John Bergman next week, where you can learn how to replace surgery and drugs with chiropractic care. So click subscribe on your device so you don't miss out on any of the fun. Thank you so, so much for joining me. This has been an incredible year. Let's keep it going. Keep listening. Keep up with those five-star ratings and the reviews in iTunes. And more than anything, keep learning and loving. And I will see you next week. I'd like to remind you to get your 15% discount hookup over at foursigmatic.com. This is where you're going to find the world's most convenient, potent, and delicious medicinal mushroom and herbal blends. These are great standalone drinks or add-ons that you can put into your coffee. They're really great to drink at night because they don't have caffeine. You can also use them before workouts, in moments of concentration. They're just amazing little packets of magical power. So enjoy that 15% discount by entering thelifestylist at foursigmatic.com. Again, the discount code is thelifestylist at foursigmatic.com.